chapter 11. This is a, a strategic lesson this morning. It's so much the key to things, uh, as so many of these verses are. But here it is again, uh, one of these key verses. Hebrews 11, verse 24. Hebrews 11, verse 24. How many know these words are recorded to help us? These words are recorded because God wants us to live with Him. Wants us to be with Him in eternity. And here's the way people that made it got there. This is the way they lived. This is a revelation of their value system and their priorities and the way they looked at life and the way they looked at eternity. So let's see what we can see here this morning. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <clears throat> By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, think of it this way. It, it means more to me. It's more relevant to me. I've never had to refuse to be called the son of of the queen's daughter or the king's daughters. I've uh, never had that, but I can re relate to this. By faith, Moses refused good things for best things. He refused good things for best things. Moses refused wealth. Now, think of it this way. Here's a man that is a, he's a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew while the Hebrews are enslaved to Egypt. He's a Hebrew in the place of influence. He's a Hebrew with unlimited wealth at his disposal. He has resources. He has influence. He can affect things. He can make things happen. He can have an influence for His people. Maybe He can put in a good word for them. Maybe He can, when Pharaoh dies and he inherits the throne, He can use that wealth to deliver the people. He abandoned, He refused the wealth. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the man with influence in the kingdom of in the kingdom of Egypt. He could have made laws. All he had to do was be patient till the king died and he was king. He could have made laws. He could have abolished slavery. Now, what are we talking about? How, am I talking about something I know would have happened? I'm not. I'm talking about things that human reasoning tells me in my mind could have happened. And that's what we have to deal with. We have to deal with the voice of human reasoning. So Moses just, you know, it wasn't one thing for him and another thing for us. When he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was in line for the throne. Human reasoning says, if you know that your people out there and you know that it's your responsibility to deliver them, what better position could you be in 
to affect that deliverance than if you were king over this country. And if you had this wealth at your disposal, you could equip them, you could see them back to their promised land, you could rebuild their cities. You know, you could do, and human reasoning does that. How many people think I'm, I mean, I know I'm not in the league by myself on this human reasoning thing. These are the thought processes we all go through. Especially if doing it this way, uh, we avoid reproach. And we avoid extra tension and pressure. And, and he refused and chose affliction. I mean, just right up front. When he refused the one thing, he chose the other. And he couldn't do both. So it it uh, wasn't a light matter for him. Uh, he refused the best that the world has to offer, and chose the church to he chose to identify with the people of God at their worst. They were they were they were not putting up a struggle. They had succumbed to a bond slave mentality. They weren't, there were no movements on. There was no great prayer revival going on. We, we find out what their attitude really was like after they get out in the wilderness. And all of the longings to go back to what was secure. All the longings to go back to the certainties of slavery rather than the uncertainties of freedom. So, he, he refused. Think of it. Think of it in terms of yourself. How many people have gone uh, uh, north on 271 as far as uh, Mount Pleasant? And on your way, you pass the mansion on the right. All right. I mean, that, that's not an old mansion. That thing went up in about a year's time. Landscaping and all, you know. I mean, the way you and I do it, we build us a little house, and then next year we buy a few bushes, and then next year we put in a lawn, and then the next year we, you know, and, and then by the time we get to where we're going to get uh, that necessity done, we got to paint again, you know. We, but he did it. I mean, he just—he put up this French mansion, estate, gardens, walls, hedges. It looked like it'd been there 50 years when he was through with it. Now that's that—that that doesn't compare with the riches of Egypt. That it, it in no way, but it can—you can get a little uh, uh, thought and imagination about. It. I mean, Bo Pilgrim can't call armies to his gates. You know, but imagine that being what owns you. We'll put it that way. Imagine that being yours, unless you want to identify with God's people. You know, we decided here. I think it was on a Sunday night that there wasn't anybody in here that Sunday night that couldn't give God their last dollar. I don't think there's anybody in here this morning that that you would have a problem giving God your last dollar. But we decided that all of us would have a problem giving Him our last thousand. And it's just a thousand. But you get a thousand. And you start thinking different. You know? I mean, the same worthy God in the same way that we know that that's His will, and it would be different giving Him our last thousand than it would be to give Him our last one dollar. And that's just an anemic view of who He is. That's all. And Moses had such a revelation of who He is that it was... It was not something he clung to. And this is the story of Jesus. When we think of, 
When we look through this story of what Moses did, it's just a forerunner story of Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but laid it all aside. And He who was rich became poor for me on our behalf. He who was sinless suffered the penalty of sin for me. On my... he, he left His throne in glory. For what? To live as a slave. To die a reproach. A curse upon a tree. This is the story of Jesus. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And with this story of Moses and this reading in Daniel... Get a picture of something. Daniel chapter 6. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion, nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and made supplication, making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king. And you know the rest of the story. Daniel was put in the lion's den. Now, let human reasoning deal with this a little while. Daniel, again, a man in a place of influence. A man who can affect policy who can intercede for his people who are in exile and who are in bondage. They're in a foreign country. Again, they're in exile. They don't have a voice in government. And here's Daniel next to the king. And, and they who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution and, and the the other men of equal rank, Daniel's peers, hated him because he was a righteous man, always making them feel uncomfortable, always bringing before their eyes God's appraisal of their wickedness and their sin, their adulteries, their fornications, their sodomy, their, their conniving, their cheating, their stealing, all the ways that they broke God's laws, Daniel was a constant reminder that a man can do the will of God. A man can receive God's grace. And that they were guilty before God. So they had to get him out of there. They had to do away with him. And they asked the king, and as we read, 30 days, that's all. 30 days, the next 30 days, anybody that prays to another God... Uh, goes in the den of lions. Now, you're Daniel in a place of influence. Why couldn't you just leave the window shut? 
Why couldn't you go into an inner closet? Or if, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal for most Christians to not pray at all for 30 days. Especially if you had a positive reason to not pray at all for 30 days. You know? I mean, what's the big deal? Is God sitting up there? Is that the kind of relationship I have with God? My relationship's so fragile with God that if I don't pray every day, you know, we go through all of this stuff, you hear it everywhere, just like that. You hear it, you talk to people on the streets, and their God allows everything. Man, it's hard to find a sinner. You know, human reasoning. No, this book has a revelation of God's ways. God wants you on the earth so that His name can be glorified. And so He establishes judgments and statutes and precepts and commandments to get us in tight spots so that our situation looks hopeless and the world is watching what God is going to do. And had Daniel never gone into the lion's den, God would have never been glorified before Darius. Had Moses continued to go the way of of Egypt, God would have never been glorified. There would have never been the plagues. There would have never been the great deliverance. And all through the Bible, what was God known about? All through the, the, the histories, up and up even to this time, He's the God who took a nation out of a nation. He's the God who took Israel through the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army. He's the God who led them through the wilderness 40 years. He fed them every day. He clothed them. He protected them. They didn't lose their strength. Their shoes didn't wear out. How many has got on a pair of shoes you've been wearing for 10 years? Anybody? Been wearing them for 10 years, every day. One year, every day. No? We think it's... You know, we we don't give thought to it. God was glorified and continues to be glorified in the earth because of Moses' narrow-mindedness. Because he had no place for human reasoning. There was something in his heart put there by the Spirit of God that he esteemed, that he respected, and he chose affliction, and refused wealth and influence. Now, there was... uh, Daniel and Moses, their faith was no faith of the mind. And, And I really want you to think about this. Is your faith a faith of the mind? Or is your faith a faith of the heart. Their faith was no faith of the mind. Theirs was a faith of the heart, purpose of heart, resolve of heart, to reject a sure opportunity with the ability of doing good for their people, to embrace uncertainty and the scorn of human reasoning because it was what the Spirit of the Lord gave them. As the will of God. That's what they had to go on. That this is the way of faith. I know it didn't make sense, but but God wants us to do it this way. God commands obedience this way. Now, He abandoned wealth. He abandoned Moses, abandoned influence. And He abandoned people who loved Him and who made Him what He was. What kind of deal is that? What kind of a man would would forget about this woman that loved him and called him her son, pulled him out of the Nile River, saved his life, gave him a place to live, educated him, laid her life down for him, brought him up in the best, gave him the best, loved him, faithful to him, loyal to him, took his side against other uh, sons of Pharaoh, you know. And now... He's going to just abandon all that. He's just going to forget all that. He's not going to, he's not going to put a premium on that. He's going to, do you see what advisors would, what the voice of advisors would be like in this? 
I mean, if Moses called you and me in, and we're sitting down, six of us, and we're sitting down with Moses, and we're going over all these details, do you think any of us might say, Moses, you know, uh, how's this going to come across to this woman that laid her life down for you all these years, that pulled you out of the Nile River? I mean, you know, have a heart. Don't we care about people? What did Jesus say? He said, when it comes to doing my will, unless you hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother, hate your sister, you cannot be my disciple. If there's ever a choice between doing the will of God and, and clinging to a, a relative or a family... For the disciple, there is no choice. He is all-consuming in our lives. He is our life. And it's not that we turn our back on our family. It's that we trust His greater wisdom for their good. We will abandon ourselves to do His will and trust Him, knowing that He loves them a whole lot more than we love them. And in terms of influence, nobody can have an influence over them like He does. So I just follow Him and I do His will. But don't think that these kind of thoughts weren't to be considered. Wasn't it God's will that Moses be plucked from the river Nile? Wasn't it God's will that Moses be saved by the Pharaoh's daughter? I mean, if it was God's will then, why doesn't it have something to do with God's will now? Well, God is sovereign. God can do something back here to get us down there, and He couldn't get us over there until He got us down there. But we're not married to the past. We walk in the Spirit. We walk in truth. We're not married to tradition. We're not married to the way things were done 40 years ago. It's a fresh walk with God that has a fresh expression. And there may be 90 degree turns in the road because this God knows what He's doing and, how, and where He's going to get us and how He's going to get us there. Now, Moses refused the world's best for faith's worst. Now, why do I say faith's worst? What was it called when Jesus left the throne of glory and came down and lived in the flesh, what's that period of time called in his life? Does anybody remember? The humiliation of Christ. It was the time of humiliation. What was humiliating about it? Just being in the flesh. Because we're frail. We're subject to frailty and weakness. We are, and he was the bottom rung of the flesh. He was a slave, a bond slave. He, he, he chose it. He chose it because of what it meant to God. He chose it because of what it meant to other slaves, you and me. He chose it. And that's going to become a very important concept in this lesson this morning. Faith that can withstand the temptations of prosperity can easily endure the trials of adversity. Many of us may not know what we would be like in the temptations of prosperity on a big scale. But on a scale of measuring our situation with the rest of the world, we live like kings. Everybody in this room has so much in comparison to what most people in the world have. But if you can endure the temptations of prosperity, you will have endured the greatest temptations you'll ever face. The temptations of affliction, the temptations of trials and tests of life do not compare with the temptations of prosperity. Uh, I remember Brother Clinton and saying the thing he would dread most for Russia would be the kind of prosperity that we have in the United States in terms of, the, of, of testing the church. 
to see what they would do. Look at the self-denial in relationship to happiness. Who was happier? When you look back on the life of Moses and you look back on the life of Pharaoh, who was happier? The whole spectrum of his life. When you look back on the life of Daniel and you look back on the life of Darius, who has the least regrets? Who was the happiest about his life? When you look back on the life of Paul and you look back on the life of Nero, now now don't get religious on me. I'm talking about palace, power, I'm talking about pleasures, unthinkable. I'm talking about snap your fingers and it gets done. I'm talking about just you want it and you've got it. But looking back on a life like that, who experienced true happiness? Paul or Nero? So the answer's clear, isn't it? So why... Do we let it be such a big deal to choose the ways of God? By faith, verse 25 says, By faith Moses chose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning more than anything else. If you don't get anything else, get this. The difference in desiring and choosing. The difference in desiring and choosing. Because we get these we get these things mixed up. For example, uh, I don't remember the the right percentages to use, but uh, the state of Texas is fast becoming officially a bilingual state in terms of the, the population of the state, the Hispanic population of the state. I mean, in Longview, Texas, we're not anywhere close to the border, but you can't go two blocks in Longview, Texas without meeting somebody from Mexico or Guatemala or uh, a Spanish-speaking country. Here they are, right in our backyard. How many times I've said, boy, I really would like to speak Spanish. How many times have you said, boy, it would be great to speak Spanish. I doubt that there's anybody in this room, maybe, but I doubt it. When you really think about it, that would not desire to speak Spanish or probably have desired to speak Spanish. I desire to speak Spanish. Oh, I'd give anything if I could just speak Spanish. Is is not the same thing as choosing to learn how to speak Spanish. So that's that's what we've got to get at as far as the life of faith is concerned. Probably everybody in this room, would, when we hear what the Scriptures have to say, when we have a moment of, of knowing by the Holy Ghost the will of God, when we get a glimpse of eternal things, we know it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after that the judgment. We know that every man, every man, this is what the Bible says, every man will give an account to God for every thought Every word, every deed. We don't want to believe that, but if you dare to believe the revelation of all wisdom to us, that's what the book says. We'll give an account, even for every idle word. We'll give an account. And it's at that point where we are going to go the way of desire or the way of choice. And all of us desire 
to be able to stand before God boldly. All of us desire to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. All of us desire to walk before God without guilt. All of us desire to do His will and to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of us desire that. From oldest to the youngest, I don't have any question that every person in this room desires to do the will of God. Desires to please God. It's a different count And only God knows how many of us, though, have chosen to do His will. We have chosen to hear Him say, well done. We have chosen to refuse self, to deny self. We have chosen to follow Him. Because here's the difference in desiring and choosing. I can desire a thing and not do it for a year and still be alive with desire to do that someday. I really know I ought to do that. And I'm full of desire and the desire has not, has not waned. It has not decreased. The desire is even stronger Now that it was a year ago, however, I'm not closer, I'm further away from the reality of it. But the desire is still there. The desire is strong. And it's easy to find false comfort in the fact that as I live in sin, as I choose self... Give me a cup of water, please, Gary. As I I refuse self-control, as I refuse... To not break God's law as I refuse the the grace of God to say no to sinful pleasures. As I refuse the grace of God to make no provision for the flesh. I go with what I want to do. I go with what feels good. I go with what's pleasurable for the moment. I go with what is satisfying to self. And yet, every night, I'm filled with a desire to have the faith that pleases God. That is not choosing. And listen, it fits in here. Many are called. Few are chosen. Is the, cho- is the choosing of God those He chooses out of those who are called, is it arbitrary? Is it whimsical? Is it just something that, that doesn't have any rhyme or reason? Is it luck? Some are chosen and some aren't chosen? I'll tell you there is a relationship between those who choose to answer to the call and those who are chosen. Many are called. And everybody who is called has a desire. But not everybody who is called chooses to respond to the call. I want to read you something. By an old writer, preacher named H.W. Beecher. And I'm quoting him. You have sometimes thought to yourself how nice it would be to speak French, German, or Spanish. You tried once or twice and got stuck in the grammar and gave up. When you saw what was involved, you did not endure. Your desire was and is to learn Spanish. But your choice was, give me present pleasure. Give me good prospects in the world, opportunities. Give me something to eat, something to drink, something to wear. Give me a place where I shall be praised and honored. 
And I will pick up what little information I need to get through life with less than I desire. Desiring is not choosing. When men are doing wrong and they know it and regret it, when they are filled with failure and shame, when they come near the verge of destruction and are filled with fear, when they realize their danger and desire to be free from their wickedness, they only desire it. They seldom choose it. If they did choose it, they could break their bonds and rise up and be free. Isn't that powerful? I hope that this provides a key to you in your own life. It's one thing to desire. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, desiring rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Would have turned out a whole lot different than Moses choosing. What happens when you choose? What happens when you choose something? See, now you go to, uh, you can, Finney brought this out in his studies. He says, every man lives by a supreme choice. Every man. The pagan man, the educated man, the bond man, the free man, the wealthy man, the poor man. Every man. The older man and the young man lives by a supreme choice. And, and, and there's not three. There's not six. There's only two. Self or God. Those are the only choices, supreme choices in life. Self or God. And he says, every subordinate choice, every subordinate choice, every volitional choice, every executive choice, however you want to label them, every choice in life supports the supreme choice a man has made. His activities don't give the appearance always of what his supreme choice is. You've got to go to his motives. Many a man in church today, many a man, I read a part of the life of Bill Clinton and when he was governor of Louisiana, uh, of Arkansas, he, uh, he sang in the choir at Emanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Sang in the choir. They got tapes of, of uh, those morning services and they, they'll go through the choir and there's, there's Bill Clinton singing in the choir. Why was he there? It was to support his supreme choice in life, which was self. You can, you can give all your riches to the poor. That doesn't mean anything. Why? Did you give all your riches to the poor? That's what means something. You can give your body to be burned as a sacrifice to get somebody's attention to affect some kind of a policy, to to call attention to somebody's plight or somebody's struggle. Nobody's paying attention, but now I'm going to burn my body publicly so that somebody will pay attention to this problem. And if you have not love, it's for nothing. It was just a selfish act. It just supported your supreme choice. You can sing the songs. You can read the Bible. You can worship. go to the worship services. But why are you doing it? Every choice supports the supreme choice. If you choose to learn Spanish, every choice you make until you learn it is going to support and facilitate you learning it. 
Can you do this? No, I can't do that. Why? I've got to be in class Monday night and Wednesday night and Friday night. Well, how long is this going to go on? I don't know. But I've chosen to learn Spanish. And until I learn it, I'm going to be in that class. See? That's, that's just the way it is. Choosing eliminates options. Proverbs 1. Would you read with me Proverbs 1? A portion of Proverbs 1. Uh-huh. And desiring can even produce temporary and momentary actions, but they don't continue because it wasn't a choice. Look at verse 24, Proverbs 1:24. Because I have called and ye have refused, I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have said it not my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I will laugh. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproofs. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. And actually, they'll be filled with their own choices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. To fear the Lord is a choice. Do you know what's, you know what the biggest problem, the way I understand it, the way I see it, the biggest problem in the church is that the church has chosen not to fear the Lord. Do you know the biggest problem in this little fellowship and in my own life? is that I have chosen not to fear the Lord. And in this little fellowship, we, so many of us, have chosen not to fear the Lord. Why don't we choose today to fear the Lord? And every choice we make supports the choice to fear the Lord. It will affect every part of your life. It will affect all the choices you make in a day if you choose to fear the Lord. Moses refused the pleasures of sin for a season. I've made me a note here uh, about that word pleasure. The the picking, the the pleasures of sin are is like picking beautiful flowers. As soon as you pick it, it's dead. The life is gone out of it. And that's a good illustration of the pleasures of sin. They're pleasures. They're real. But as soon as you pick it, you've got to pick another one. You've got to pick another one tomorrow. And you've got to pick another one the next day. And if you want the same pleasure, soon you're having to pick a handful. And the handful you picked last week is no longer adequate. It's no longer relevant. It doesn't last. It's always got to be more. 
the pleasures of sin. Sin is treason against the government of God. The pleasures of sin. There are momentary, sensual pleasures even though it is treason against the government of God. Even though it is saying, I don't care if you said don't do it, God. I choose the momentary pleasure over the eternal wisdom of God. I choose to not fear the Lord. The world has its pleasures for a season. The church has its afflictions for a season. Think of that. You look at a man that's in the midst of the pleasures of the world and the, the immediate response of the flesh is to envy him and want to be like that. But listen, pleasures for a season. What about eternity? And then you look at the church. That's not attractive. Look at them. Affliction, persecution, hated, despised, a reproach, considered the scourge of the earth. Who wants it? But it's just persecution for a season. It's just being hated for a season. It's just suffering for a season. What about what about eternity? Is there anything more wonderful and beautiful than a man or woman laying in that casket that made a choice when they were a kid and all their life chose to live a godly life? And you look back on 70 years of influence, 70 years of doing good, 70 years of making right choices, 70 years of pleasing God. 70 years of, of sacrificing for the cause of God. Is there anything more beautiful than that? Nothing. Nothing. And all that they experienced in terms of suffering and being despised and being a reproach and being backwards and people at the factory hated them because they were always exposing theft and exposing uh, lack of, of man-hour production and so on because they were always doing as unto God and made everybody else look bad and suffered persecution for it. But it's just for a season. What about now? What about when they stand before God? Will they be sorry they were an object of persecution? No. It'll be the basis of their greatest joy that they pleased Him and that they get to hear, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The church's sufferings are just for a season. The church is despised for righteousness' sake, but just for a season. Let's pray. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Bill, respond to the Lord in whatever you've heard by the Spirit of God this morning. Bill Cook.
Are there any other responses? Anybody want to respond to God concerning what the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart? Praise God. I have a great concern for this generation. The generation that we are a part of. The present generation. The whole Western culture the concept of being a victim of not being responsible for our actions it was mother's fault or it's society's fault or if girls didn't dress in an enticing way, then I wouldn't lust after them. It's always somebody else's fault. And the whole society supports that. That's why stories like we had this morning are in here. You cannot name a sensual pleasure that Moses didn't have flaunted before his eyes in the flesh, not on TV, within reach, not through that window over there, not in that magazine, but within reach. And he refused. And he chose. And it says he chose to suffer the afflictions of God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And this arrogant generation thinks that it's going to stand before God and say, well, God, 
everybody in the church I grew up in did that. And think that God's going to be sympathetic towards that and say, oh, poor baby, I wished you had lived in the 15th century. Then you could have really been responsible for your actions. Folks, it's just not going to be that way. God's why isn't it going to be that way? Because God's grace is a reality. He really will give us the ability to know and to do His will. He really will. And when we live according to the norms of the culture, then we're calling God a liar. We're saying, God, You couldn't do it for us. You, you, you couldn't supply our needs. We had to give way to this. We had to choose this. Praise God. Uh, if we've been able to see things in perspective this morning, how grateful we are to the Holy Spirit for teaching us. Let's stand together. Lord, we stand And we, hopefully, all of us as one choose the fear of God. We choose to fear You. We choose to fear You concerning our sensual needs. We choose to fear You concerning the words we speak and the deeds that we do and the thoughts that we think and the attitudes that we have. We choose to fear You with our finances. We choose to fear You with our time. We choose to fear You. We choose to tremble at Your Word. We choose to be impacted by Your will. We choose to receive revelation of the will of God. We choose to do it Your way. We choose in choosing. We say yes to being misunderstood. It's less to be feared, to be misunderstood by everybody, than to disregard the will of God. It's less to be feared, the wrath of Him who can destroy the body. It is more to be feared the wrath of Him who can destroy both body and soul. And we choose to fear the Lord. And we thank You this morning that You will give us grace to walk in what You require. We are without excuse. Every person in this room will hear you say one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, unless we choose self over your will. Lord, I pray that we would be that we would be uh, astounded, that we would be sober, that we would be serious. And in closing, we pray that with this choice that we make to fear God,
that you would teach us your ways and show us your paths and lead us in truth and guide us. To the glory of the name of our substitute sufferer who has made it possible